You're listening to This Is Yoga Therapy. I'm your host, Michelle Lawrence, and I've had the opportunity to interview many of those who are making a difference at the intersections of yoga and health. And I'm here to share with you their stories and conversations. Thanks for listening. In today's episode, I interviewed Joanne Spence. Joanne is the author of Trauma-Informed Yoga, a toolbox for therapists, 47 practices to calm, balance, and restore the nervous system, and the new card deck, Trauma-Informed Yoga card deck, 52 self-guided practices to calm, balance, and restore the nervous system. Joanne has taught yoga in prisons, hospitals, schools, churches, and sometimes street corners. I'd like to know more about that. Her subspecialties are treating adults and children with chronic pain, trauma, depression, anxiety, ADHD, and insomnia. She has over 30 years of clinical experience, 10 of those years as the first yoga therapist at Western Psychiatric Hospital. Joanne's poetry appears in Agape Review, Macrina Magazine, Enfleshed, and Pittsburgh Theological Journal. She calls Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania home where she empty nests with her husband, Doug, and flirts with the idea of homesteading. And you can learn more about Joanne and her work at joannespence.com, and I'll include that link in the show notes. It's so great to have you here today, Joanne. Thanks for having me, Michelle. It's really great to be with you. So I'd love to have you start at the beginning a little bit and sharing a bit more about yourself and what brought you to the work that you do today. And I imagine that probably could be a long story, but maybe the highlights for us. I also understand that your life and practice took a pretty definitive turn over 20 years ago when you were in a significant car accident. So Maybe you can just share with us a bit about your story that brought you to the work that you do today. Sure. And I'm glad to give you the abbreviated version. So I'm British born, emigrated to Australia very young and met my husband in Australia in the 80s. And we moved to the States closer to where his family is in We were trucking along as he was practicing law and I was a social worker and working for various social service agencies in southwestern Pennsylvania. And eventually we started a family and we were enjoying the ups and downs of being fairly new parents. It was about the time that my oldest was three and my youngest, my middle son was one. And I was in a really bad car accident and that really threw a curveball because it took me two years to get better. And I had youth and enthusiasm on my side and good health care and supportive friends and family. So those were all really instrumental in my healing path. But around the two-year mark, I was not doing that well and self-diagnosed, realized I was depressed and the pain that had initially been acute, had now settled and was more global. And I guess is what some people would call chronic pain. So that was the space I was in when I was looking for alternative ways of healing. And I wasn't happy with what allopathic medicine offers. And it was in that space that I discovered yoga. But I'll add just one thing. In that time, yoga wasn't part of my repertoire. It wasn't on my radar. So it was just an interesting set of circumstances. 
in three days after this first weekend yoga encounter, I was pain free for the first time in two years. So it was that drama that got my attention. And I have really spent the last 25 years figuring out what that was about and trying to continue to be well and to bring some of those things that I've learned to other people that maybe find themselves in similar circumstances. What a great story and probably relatable for some of our listeners too, Mm. even though, of course, that was your unique journey, but this really instrumental moment where you had an experience of the healing power of yoga, right? And I can relate to that Mm -hmm. in my own way. And I've been spending the last 25 years trying to figure out why and how that worked too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I get it. You have created a body of work around some of that too. So let's talk a bit about your book, Trauma-Informed Yoga, and now you have a card deck too. But you wrote this book as a reference or a toolbox, as you call it, for therapists specifically, as a way to offer them access to the tools that we yoga teachers and therapists have come to know as effective for regulating the nervous system. Can you talk more about the book specifically and how it came about? As you know, that learning about yoga is a lifelong process. And as I was working in institutions and juvenile youth centers and schools and inpatient psychiatric, I realized that I was using a handful of poses and breathing practices. And what I noticed was some surprisingly reliable results, you know, not like in a scientific way, but my own observations, my own lived experience. And I would often be asked, oh, it would just would be so great if you could just come back tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And I'm like, yeah, I got a life and a family and <laughs> that's not sustainable for me. And it's usually not sustainable financially from the institution. And I thought, well, what if I wrote down and made it understandable and drew on the, you know, the ancient wisdom and some of the current neuroscience that we have and put it in bite-sized pieces and drew on some of my social work background because that was my first career and put that in a way that makes sense that you could use in the counseling room, sitting in a chair. You know, I was really influenced by Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps the Score. Uh, There might be things that we are unable to talk about or that the trauma is stored in the body and our healing may be beyond what we could actually talk about. So I took all of that in and thought, is there a book there? And I had the opportunity to flesh that out and workshop that for several years. I mean, I've probably been writing it for 20 some years, but finally I was ready. Mostly when my children were nearly grown and the youngest was in high school because I had a third child. And I finally found that I had some space and that thought that this might be of service to therapists and healthcare workers, nurses, and youth workers, and many people in the institutions that I've been working with that might not be in a position to go out and do a yoga teacher training, but they certainly could lay down the finer points of simple movement and a handful of breathing practice. Now, of course, there's so much more to know about yoga than what I wrote about, but at the same time, there are these essentials 
that I see as essential sort of that have really been part of my healing journey. And I thought, do we really need to have a 200 hour, 500 hour? You know, this is a little bit controversial to say this, but I felt that that was true and that I could contribute and all of the people that it takes to write a book because it's an enormous amount of people, even though the writing is solitary. And so bringing all of that to bear, I got a yes. I got a yes from Pessy Publishing. I got a yes from my spouse, Doug, who is also my first reader. I got a yes from my community that said, we want to support you in this and and we think there is a need. So that helped me to move forward. And that appears to be true from the book sales, from people's feedback, from meeting people in the grocery stores. (laughs) I've been using your book. So it's probably the only thing that I've done that's been scalable. It makes a lot of sense to me, right? And I totally agree with you that we want to empower folks with the essentials, folks who don't necessarily need or can't necessarily take a yoga teacher training. Totally makes sense to me. I wonder what some of those essential practices are for you that rose to the top that you included in the book. Helping people to care for their body, be aware of it and go, oh yeah, I have a spine. Perhaps I need to move it every day. What are the ways my spine moves and doing six movements of the spine? Nasal breathing. It's not wrong to breathe through your mouth, but as a practice, we do have science and ancient wisdom on our side of why it might be more sustainable and better for your health to breathe through your mouth. And lots of people have written about that. It turns out that if that's not your habit, then it's not hard to retrain yourself to do that. And if we stuck with six movements of the spine and nasal breathing, just those two things alone, of course, there's so much more, but just those two things would be transformative or are transformative. They are transformative. Totally. Yep. And simple and free, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And so truly this book, even though you wrote it for therapists, perhaps, or that's the way it's positioned in the market, it's really for everyone and anyone, not just therapists. And now that the book and now the card deck have been out for a few years, can you share some stories and applications you've heard from individuals using your book for their benefit? Yeah, and I will just let you know the the card deck only came out two weeks ago, or maybe three, May May 16th. The book came out in March of 2021, so that's been out two years now. And the card deck, which turned out to now be a spiral-bound book, which is a last-minute publishing decision, one of our taglines is real people doing real yoga. And along with the feedback from the book, people are saying, oh, I didn't know that I could do yoga. Or I didn't know that was yoga, breathing through your nose. Or look, all of the models have shoes on or they're not wearing yoga clothes, which is very intentional. And that people see themselves in the card deck and there's 25 models of various genders and ages and body sizes and skin colors and ethnicities and people identifying in all sorts of ways and that was really important and something that I have looked for all of my yoga teaching days of to be able to find tools images that 
were inclusive. So that's what has been really important and has driven the work. And I think people really enjoyed the therapists that read the book or yoga teachers that read the book enjoyed that there were scripts, but I was being asked for images in addition to that so that they could give the images to clients. And we all know, you know, the saying pictures worth a thousand words and a lot of us are visual learners. So it was a natural follow on to be able to offer the images but it was really important to me and to, to those of us creating the self-guided practices that it truly be reflective as we could. And I will say these were all volunteers. These were all folks in my community to be able to say, come on down. If you want to practice yoga, you can. It is for everybody. You don't have to have $100 yoga pants. You can even wear your shoes. and look, we're giving it a try. It's not that hard. And so I hope that we communicated that through the simple text, through those images. And so far, so good. It's just been a beautiful few weeks of receiving very positive feedback. And that culminated in a launch party last Friday night where 50 of us gathered to say, yay, it's here. We're all in it. And that felt really lovely because it wasn't just my voice because clearly it's me driving the first book that's for therapists. But to be able to know that the self-guided practices are highlighting many voices, that felt really good to be able to celebrate that and that more people might now go, oh, so even I can do yoga. Wow. Okay. Such important work and thank you and congratulations. That feels a bit monumental. And I'm one of those folks too who have long sought images, photographs for marketing, etc., of all sorts of folks doing yoga, whatever that mm. might even mean, right? Some folks mm-hmm. would say that you don't actually do yoga. Yes, I know that. But the practices kind of demystifying who can embrace those practices. And so I appreciate you taking that on in this project as well, making it accessible. So I'd love to shift gears just a little bit. I know you you now spend most of your time writing, but at one point you did a lot of work in your community in schools. You were the first yoga therapist at Western Psychiatric Hospital. Can you share a little bit more about what that work looked like, yoga therapy in various institutions? Yeah, I feel like I could write a book on how to navigate bureaucracy. We'll leave that for a, a different conversation. I felt It's going to sound odd, but I felt called to certain spaces like at Resident Psychiatric Hospital and to the school system and then later on to the VA system with the Holistic Health Initiative. And it really takes, so I'm an outsider in those places and I'm a vendor for the VA. I was an employee when I worked at Western Psychiatric Hospital. I was running a nonprofit to still do yoga in schools when I worked with the school system. And so I was doing grant fundraising. So there's sort of three examples of three different types of entities. And the only way that I could be present in those places was, was A, I was invited. I think that's the key. I was invited to be in those spaces. And because I was invited into those spaces, there was insiders that understood the bureaucracy and that were willing to stand 
and pave a way so that people like me and people that worked for yoga in schools and other people doing creative and expressive arts, other yoga teachers could come in and that we could show up and do our work and that there were these special, they were all happened to be women that were fighting the fights and beating down the doors and, I mean, the paperwork, the permissions, the access when you're in locked facilities. I mean, there's very physical barriers to being in these spaces that are well outside of any scope of my practice being a social worker or a yoga teacher or a yoga therapist. And so it's these partnerships that were so critical. And I just go back to the reason I've been able to be in these amazing spaces is because of amazing people that paved a way. Even if they weren't people that practiced yoga, they just knew that there was something about the practice that their clientele or their people needed that were accessing whatever facility it was. So I would just say, you know, it is to sound so lovely, oh, yoga in schools or being in a psychiatric hospital or running therapeutic yoga groups. And they are important and amazing things. And it doesn't happen in a vacuum. The context is absolutely critical. And the people that buy in and pay that way if I could just elevate the importance of having those partnerships, that's how come they got to happen. And the stories could fill hours and hours for your listeners. And I won't do that other than to say it's made my life deeply meaningful and richer for having been able to teach in those spaces. It was some of the hardest work I've ever done and most rewarding. What an important message for our listeners to hear, though, this partnership piece. Like you said, a book needs to be written about it to get into the depth of that. But I think it's just at a high level, an important message to hear. And even in my own little corner of the world, in my small town, and yes, I run this school, but I also work locally here. And it's always been through relationship, through partnership, through grant funding, through community that I've been able to offer yoga therapy services in conjunction with organizations. It's not been because me, an individual, had a mission. So it's something that we as a field can really benefit to learn more about, but even just kind of understand that this is an important part of progress. And then at the same time, and kind of to my next question, like I have now, and really over the past five years in particular, I have seen more and more adoption of yoga therapy, yoga, and various forms in healthcare and mainstream or institutional settings like schools and hospitals. Are you witnessing this adoption as well? And Are you excited about it? Where is the excitement right now? I'm kind of wondering what your sort of pulse on it is at the moment. I am excited some days and other days I'm like, why haven't we got further in 25 years or in 10 years? Because yoga is more mainstream now. And I am thinking of studies like the 2008 and the 
was it 2012, the Yoga in America study. And we hear all the time and particularly, it feels like the air I'm breathing, but I realize it's a highly specific air I'm breathing when you go to the International Association of Yoga Therapists to the conferences or where there's gathering of health people that there is more inclusion and talk about yoga. But like when I was working in the hospital setting, one day we would you know, take this model of creative and expressive arts. I was part of the creative and expressive arts team, and including yoga and yoga therapy, and we're going to take it across the country. And then the next day it would be, well, you're lucky to have a job. And this constant up and down of maybe that's uh, true across healthcare. I'm happy that we've made a lot of progress. And at the same time, I'm surprised that we haven't made more progress. But I see pockets of light and hope. And I think the VA is a model that I'm hoping that we're all watching closely, particularly those of us that are yoga therapists, the the whole health initiative that focuses on the whole person, that there's yoga and many other body-based modalities woven into their model and their philosophy And for the most part, I see them putting their money where their mouth is. And at the same time, it's like, okay, I would like to see more space and more access because one or two yoga therapists in like a system like the, we have several VAs in our city in Pittsburgh. It takes more than that. It's not like we're a terribly costly intervention or running therapeutic groups. If we're looking at it from the practicality of money, we're about the best bang for your buck that you can get. We have some evidence to support that. So I'm hopeful. I want to see more. I'm a big advocate of now of trying to cheer people on and becoming vendors for the for the VA. Because you know, there's barriers. There's real barriers. Like it took a year just to get the simple paperwork. It's not a very long, not not a lot of papers that have to be filed to become a vendor for the VA, but a year. That these are barriers to people looking for work that want to do fulfilling work and might have to move on in the meantime. So I won't sort of go down that road of where I get upset about the system, but there's surely ways that. And sometimes, as I mentioned, those people that we partner with and that are inside the system that can pave the way so that we can do the work that we're trained to do and show up and be with the people in our class that day. That's doing the best that yoga therapy can offer. Mm -hmm. Yep. I'm getting to the last question, and I know you listen to the podcast, and so I'd love to hear about your personal practice. We put a big emphasis on that in our training program. It's a really important part of being a yoga therapist is doing your own personal work. So I'm curious what your personal practice looks like. I love talking about my personal practice because I use a term called the rule of life. And it comes from St. Benedict's rule of life. And he was a sixth century monk who was trying to create some stability in the abbey at a time in the world when it was very chaotic. And I think that he's onto something that the while the world might be a bit different today, I think that we can learn about what it means to have practices and habits that bring us some deep stability and 
might I say, joy and ability to do the work we are called to do. So what that looks like for me is, and it's all about practices and relational rhythms. It involves things like my daily prayer practice, listening to sacred texts, some daily fasting, which is also popularly known as intermittent fasting. I found that to be really good for mind, body, and spirit. And I do some embodied movement, and most of the time that looks like some yoga poses. I'm a really big fan of a practice called the Five Tibetan Rites, and that's been really helpful to my own development, particularly in the last six months or so. And I make some time for some readings and things that are inspirational, motivational, sometimes aspirational. I try and fit in a walk or ride my bike. The bike riding is just new in the last couple of years and something that I've reacquainted from my childhood. And I usually end my day with two things, five to 10 minutes of restorative yoga, depending on what my body needs in that moment. And there's a final practice called the daily examine and it's a practice about reviewing my day and looking at what went well so a little bit like a gratitude practice what didn't where I might need to ask for forgiveness and where I might need help for the next day and that practice is part of Ignatian spirituality and that's been part of my spiritual life for the last few years and something that I've taken a deep dive in all of those parts help me to show up and do the work that I feel that I'm called to. So beautiful, Joanne. Thanks for sharing that with us. And thanks for all that you shared today and the work that you do and putting tools in our hands that can then help many others. It was a real delight talking with you. Well, it's been great talking to you, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me and asking such great questions. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to learn more about who we are and what we do, visit us at innerpeaceyogatherapy.com.